This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9, Pacific Time on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In his new book, The Pirate's Dilemma, our guest today, Matt Mason, charts the rise of youth movements from pirate radio to remix culture, from punk and hip-hop to graffiti and gaming, and tracks their ripple effect throughout the mainstream. He shows how subversive ideas, fringe movements, and street and youth culture have combined with technology to subvert old hierarchies and empower the individual. Mason began his career as a pirate radio and club DJ in London, going on to found the seminal magazine RWD, the largest urban music title in the UK. In 2004, he was presented with the Prince's Trust London Business of the Year Award by Prince Charles. Matt Mason, welcome to Weekly Signals. Thank you for having me on the show. Great to be here. Well, how are you doing today? What's it like in New York? Uh, it's cold. Yeah. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's been getting colder, so that's not great. Um, <laughs> when, when, that, it's all right. Yeah. It's yeah. When did you move? When did you move over here from uh, from London? Uh, I moved over two and a half years ago uh-huh. um, from London. Um, my wife's a, my, my wife is a native New Yorker, and oh. we've been dating between London and New York for some time. And finally, finally, one of us we were, we were too jet lagged. Something had to give. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, so do you like it, in New York? Are things yeah. good for you there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love New York. It's uh, you know, it's it's kind of it reminds me a lot of, of London, and it's just kind of, it has more of a pulse, I guess, because it's yeah. more concentrated. Um, but yeah, it's been great living here. It was a great place to, to be to write the book, actually. Could could you call it the birthplace of punk capitalism, or is that someplace else? Uh, it's definitely It was definitely the birthplace of punk. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that punk capitalism as an entity really has a birthplace, but its roots are in punk, so yeah, you could say that. Yeah. Uh, where, where would you say punk capitalism started then? Or not where, but how and... How and who and why? Uh, I mean, punk capitalism is kind of uh, a, a device I use to talk about how um, how in society we're all capable of of doing anything ourselves, and we're all capable of of subverting the status quo and and resisting kind of mainstream signals. Um, so, I mean, the ideas that, that that make up what I call punk capitalism came from lots of different places. Um, they certainly came from the punk movement, which started in New York in the seventies, but the birth of the personal computer um, as an idea is really, really something that came from from California, from Palo Alto, um, and uh, what was going on there in the '60s at places like Xerox Park, and and these kind of very subversive ideas, which had their roots in in the '60s counterculture. So, I mean, and then you can trace those ideas back to, I don't know, Paris in the 1950s and the yeah. Situationists, and, and so on and so on. But the, the, really, if you go back through time. Um, and a look at the history of, of Western civilization, we've always been trying to subvert the status quo in, in, in lots of different ways. And this, this really happens a lot through different youth movements. But, I mean, today it's really... The, the reason that I talk about this is punk capitalism today is that I see this as something that's, uh, that's really started to take over. It's not just something happening on the streets, happening in the boardroom. It's happening... It, it, we're seeing the effects affect government, and it's happening at, at all levels in society because... This idea that we can we can talk back is kind of is becoming is becoming really a part of of who everybody is. No, I, when you say we talk back, do you mean in, in the way that we go about what we buy, or is this a more of a 
sort of political bantering well, back yeah, and forth? It's definitely, what we, it's definitely happening in what we consume, and mm-hmm. you can see this at every level. If you look at um, how companies and brands are having to put um, very much what they do and how they produce what they produce and the, the idea that things have to be sustainable. I mean, this is something really at the forefront of people's minds now. Mm-hmm. Uh, a survey came out recently saying that um, 50% of U.S. consumers uh, consider sustainability when they're buying products. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge shift that's happening in a, in a very, very short period of time. But it's not just about what we, um, what we consume. It's also about what we produce and how we, how we counteract the things that society... The, the, this kind of, society needs to be a very one-way flow of information. If you were, if you were a three twenty twenty-year-olds in the in the nineteen seventies, and there wasn't anything good on TV, and you were, you were bored, there the, one of the ways, the, one of the only ways to really say something about that would be to maybe form a band with your friends, maybe form a punk band, and and kind of subvert the status quo that way. Mm-hmm. Today, if you're three twenty-year-olds and there's nothing good on TV, you can create an alternative to TV using sharing. Um, like YouTube, and sell it to Google for $1.65 billion, to, you know, nearly two years later. So it's really our options have changed, especially in terms of how how teenagers operate and how youth cultures operate. And I think youth cultures are so important in this way because they kind of act as uh, social beta versions of uh, ways, with social experiments, places we can try out new ideas. And if they happen to work and people happen to respond to them, then eventually what happens is those ideas, they permeate all of, all of society eventually. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Napster would be a prime example of that, too. And, right. and, and, and Steve Jobs would be some, uh, a corporation that worked in a, a positive way with that idea. Am I characterizing him right? Do you think he's a... Uh, Absolutely. I, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, this is, I mean what, what Napster did was presented the record industry with, with a pirate's dilemma, as I call them. Uh, a pirate's dilemma is when we're faced with we're faced with a problem with how we think about sharing our ideas or our information or our intellectual property, and we're forced to reevaluate how we do that. And that's often what pirates do is they come into marketplaces where they're, they're not working as well as they possibly could be, and they, they highlight the fact that they could work differently. And when the pirates are just stealing and they're not doing anything useful for society, um, the best way to fight them is, is with the courts. But if they are doing something that people actually really like, like with Napster, it was people could see this was a much more convenient, uh, much easier way to distribute music. It, society got behind it, and they got behind it in, in such large numbers that eventually the music industry uh, didn't really have a choice, but it had to start competing with piracy. And it, in fact, Steve Jobs, he was one of the first people to say, if you want to stop piracy, the way to stop it is by competing with it. And okay. so it was that he was the guy that came up with iTunes. And so, yeah, it's really about it, it's really about looking at piracy not always as a problem. It is a problem, but it, it can also highlight new opportunities for businesses and people. Well, I've got to believe that piracy too is is the the uh, catalyst for for so many things to get going. And and it's a shame that corporations aren't, in general, aren't reacting positively to that catalyst and instead back away from it and 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 want to punish it. Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, that can be, intellectual property law is important, copyrights are important, patents are important, trademarks are important. All of these things are good, and they encourage innovation a lot of the time. But in cases where they're not encouraging innovation, in cases where there is a better way for the market to do something, 
that's when piracy really steps into the breach and, and makes that transaction happen in the way that, that it perhaps it should be happening. Right. There, there's something there's something inherently messy about this process because as you yeah. just alluded to the copyrights copyrights well it, it's good and and I mean, you have to, it, to it, anything can be excessive and and i i was just thinking about this idea of patents and copyrights and right. and it used to be that you could um there was a limitation on the time frame for a yeah. patent or a copyright but because corporate uh, the corporations across the world have abused this system now where they might change something that's insignificant to the actual product or the patent or the copyright in order to maintain this extraordinarily long length of time that they hold on to a patent. It gives rise to what you're describing, which is we we need these products. They, they're sometimes important to our own health. And so, therefore, it's given rise to this idea that we somehow need to get, step into this process and, 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 and allocate it for ourselves. Am I characterizing that correctly? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, copyright periods used to be 20 years in right. the United States, and they've, they're currently pushing – they're, I think, at 97 years, or is it 90 years at the moment? And yeah, it's something like that. Yeah. Well, and, and they just – as I said, they'll take a drug that, they've, that the drug manufacturers have, have been producing. It's, mm. its patent is about to run out, and they'll change some insignificant part of the, of the process and claim it to be a new drug. But, in fact, they, they reissue – or they're essentially reissuing that same – uh, copyright or patent, I guess, whatever yeah, on that product, absolutely. and then they so then so like as an example, AIDS drugs, which should have been a long time ago been more generic in their in their uh, production, mm. are now being held up because these pharmaceutical companies do these things on a regular basis. That's absolutely uh, yeah. Now, how does the pirate's dilemma apply to the drug industry? Are there things going on there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and it's, they, it's been happening for decades in the drug industry, and, and this is really the sharp end of this problem because you really. You're literally talking about life and death for millions right. and millions of people when you're talking about things like AIDS drugs. Right. And, I mean, especially in the developing world, we're seeing this happen a lot. Uh, lots, of, lots of countries in Central and Southern America, uh, places like Thailand, are just the flat out, this is government policy, are ignoring Western patent law right. on certain drugs because they don't agree, that they don't believe that if, some, if something's a huge, huge national health problem for a country that people who can't afford these drugs at Western prices, well, they shouldn't have to pay Western prices. Well, they shouldn't they're have to Western. die. <laughs> they're they're going to die. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's become, it's become a real huge problem. The World Trade Organization uh, had a vote on this, and, and I think it was 129 countries voted in favor of overturning this in times of health crisis. One country vetoed it, which was the U.S., and so it never happened. Right. So when the free market's not allowed to work properly and when democracy is ignored... That's when pirates really come into their own as innovators. That's when they're really like, okay, well, do you know what? This is wrong. We're going to do this anyway because the, because the way the market's working, the way government's working is allowing millions of people to die in the name of profits. So India was one of the first countries that decided to, let, to ignore Western patent laws. They were doing it back in the 1970s uh, all the way up until I think it was 2005 when they started to change the laws. Um, but because they ignored... Um, Western patents on things like malaria drugs as well as HIV drugs, the life expectancy in India uh, went up of the average person from, I think it was, uh, it was 40 mm -hmm. in 1970 to 64 years today. Oh, and it, uh, there are other factors. The Green Revolution obviously played a big part in that. But, I mean, it, it, yeah. India was literally sort of, it's been able to, to improve the standard of living so greatly because of, this is one of the factors that really, 
contributed to all the improvements that have happened there. Yeah. And this well, isn't new in history. I mean, if you look at the history of the United States, the reason the United States industrialized so quickly is because they ignored all the really, really unreasonable European copyright and patent laws and license fees that nobody in the United States could afford to pay. Right. Uh, this is Europeans. One of the reasons Europeans began calling Americans uh, by a, a Dutch a Dutch slang term, a, a word that means little John, uh, Yankee in, in oh. Dutch, um, <laughs> which which was slang for pirate. So wow. Europeans began calling Americans Yankees, meaning pirates, which we today pronounce Yankee. I, did so, not know I that. mean, there's a long history of piracy at the birth of civil, uh, the birth of nations and, and in Western civilization. Uh, the whole story of the printing press. Well, you, we're seeing you're seeing a fair amount of this in South America right now because uh, this is in combination with areas of the world that have some natural resources like oil that the world needs. They're they're being given some latitude. It, it seems to me, maybe I'm wrong, but some latitude to uh, to pursue these sort of pirate enterprises. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And this has just happened. There's been a a really high-profile case in Antigua with online gambling, and the same thing has happened. Uh, The World Trade Organization has ruled that because the U.S. won't let online gambling happen in Antigua, to make up for the money they're losing from online gambling, Antigua is is officially allowed to, to pirate whatever entertainment, music, DVDs, stuff like that, yeah. Um, it's allowed to pirate all all American content, which is a really really unusual ruling. Right. And well, yeah, sorry, go on. No, no, I just how, I want to remind <laughs> want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Matt Mason, and the book is "The Pirate's Dilemma: How Youth Culture Is Reinventing Capitalism." I I, I want to while we're, we're talking about Mace make this seem like a panacea in some ways. There is a darker side to this sort of rogue operations that are going on. How is it, does is this idea of pirate capitalism, how does it police itself if there's no sort of agencies, if it's operating beyond the bounds of a sort of a, agencies? Well, this is the thing that pirates, that pirates do. I mean, I think ultimately it's not, it's not, the, it's not a solution. Piracy is, is not a solution. Mm-hmm. What piracy does is, is it's a market signal. It says, listen, this, this market is not working properly. Mm. And you know it's not working properly because there are all these elements outside of the market and, that, and people are supporting them. So that suggests that the market needs to change. So I don't see piracy as a solution. It's, it's more of a sign of a, that there is a problem. Mm-hmm. And the solution is to, to, to look at what pirates are doing that's useful to society and legitimize that, and legitimize that uh, in, into society, to monetize that, to make it legal. Mm-hmm. Um, a good example would be when so Thomas Edison invents the phonographic record player, and live musicians see this machine that can produce exactly what they do as they do it, and then turn that performance into a plastic disc, and they see the end of their careers and livelihoods. And they 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 couldn't they thought Thomas Edison was a pirate, and he was going to make all this money from them mm-hmm. and pirate their work. Mm-hmm. Well. In the first instance, like it seems, it seems reasonable. Yeah. They, it, you can understand why they thought that, but then they worked out a system, a royalty system, and record companies formed, and we have a new, a new type of music industry, um, and that's how the, the record industry was born out of pirate, uh, out of mm-hmm. one, one guy with a disruptive piece of technology mm-hmm. engaging in what some people saw as piracy. So you know, everybody sat around a table and worked it out. Uh, same thing when Edison invented um, film, the film projector. Mm-hmm. Um, he wanted to charge a license fee to filmmakers, and he wanted to control the distribution of all films mm-hmm. himself. And lots of filmmakers felt this was unfair, 
And so lots of them fled to the West Coast and started a small town of, of pirate filmmaking away from Edison's lawyers and just sat it, sat it out there until all his patents expired. That small town was called Hollywood, and that's why the film industry is there. Mm. So, I mean, uh, the, the, these periods, pirates create these periods of chaos, and, and what society does and what we should always do is, is we should respond by working out how we, can, how we can legitimize the thing that they're doing well, the thing that people like. And the problem today is that we're in the largest period of chaos we've ever known. I mean, the entire information age is facing the pirate's dilemma in so many areas. And people are, people are starting to respond in more nuanced ways and starting to think about competing with pirates in the marketplace rather than just fighting them in the courts. But I think it's going to be a long battle. Yeah. Well, uh, Matt Mason, we're, we're talking about also uh, a situation where um, where there's a there's a strong desire on the part of sort of the established uh, old guard media to control information in ways that uh, would restrict our access to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's part of the struggle, I assume, is what you're you're describing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the same thing. This is it, it's kind of it reminds me of when how the church reacted when the printing press was invented. Yeah. You know, it's the same. It's the same kind of thing. It's never good for the established order if more people have access to to, to the means of communication and production. It, it's it's not really a good thing for those in power. Or at least they don't view it as such. Right. You're um, go, you're going back to the period of time when it was a uh, punishable offense to read the Bible. You could you weren't even allowed to read it at, at what you're talking about. That was considered right. a threat to the establishment. And here we now have access to enormous. Uh, reams of information, and that's considered a threat. You, uh, yeah, we're spe- I mean, that's absolutely right. Yeah, we're speaking with Matt Mason. The book is "The Pirates' Dilemma," and uh, we're coming on uh, Academy Award season here on the uh, West Coast. What kind of grade would you give Hollywood in reacting to this to the Pirates' Dilemma? Uh, I don't think Hollywood's done uh, a great job so far. Uh-huh. Um, it's 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 strange because piracy is is as rampant in the movie business as it is in the music business. Uh, last year, it was one of the funniest things that happened last year, uh, I thought, was a, a, a group of DVD pirates based here in New York, and the big organized DVD gangs of pirates who mm. sell DVDs on street corners. Um, I, I'm not sure how exactly they got this press release out to the media, but a press release was issued by gangs of DVD pirates complaining that online pirating and movies was hurting their business. <laughs> I mean, that's how, when pirates are complaining about the pirates, <laughs> then you know things are bad. So that's kind of the state of, that's the state of Hollywood in 2007. Yet last year was the, the first summer where Hollywood had a $4 billion summer at the box office. Mm. I mean, record profits. So it's crazy. On the one hand, they're not having the problems the music industry is having quite yet. Um, so it's less of a problem for them. So, I mean, but the MPAA are still they're, they're lobbying they're lobbying for copyright violations to be treated as as uh, criminal acts and and lots of other things that aren't or would be really really bad actually for for us as a democracy. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not responding they're not responding really really well in the first instance. But I mean, it, it's so it, it's so obvious to to, to me that if if lots of people have different, I'm a huge movie fan, and I have different price points in my mind for a movie. If it's a movie I really want to see, I really wanted to see Cloverfield. So I was there at midnight last Thursday watching it and feeling car sick with everybody else. Uh-huh. 
But, I, you know, I'm not too... There's other films that maybe I want to see, maybe I don't. If I can pick up a copy for $5 on the street, I might do that. But there's no way I'm going to pay, I'm going to pay $11, $12 to go see it in a the theatre. Yeah. So that's, that's, what, what, a, that's a transaction that's not been monetized, and I'm not sure that that's a good, a good thing. I think Hollywood needs to rethink that. Yeah, there are... You mean sort of a sliding scale uh, within, right. the, within the price structure of going to a film... Um, uh, they need to do something because while they may have made a lot of money, sort of the gross intake, the the attendance at theaters is diminishing, and uh, that's to, yeah. so that is a, that is a real issue. I want to ask sort of a, a question about because you described earlier this idea that uh, the you know, this pirate uh, capitalism coming out of the personal computer back, uh, sort of mm-hmm. a, a reaction, a, a counterculture reaction right. uh, to that to the time. It's funny. Uh, or is there a distinction here between sort of the idea among some who are with, who have flourished within the counterculture of unplugging from the grid as a way of of imposing kind of a political uh, veneer on what they've been doing, mm-hmm. and the idea of pirate capitalism, which is really it sounds to me like plugging into the grid but making a concerted effort to alter the course of where we're heading yeah. in terms of our economy. Do you see the, this distinction? Do you do you uh, is there something in that that uh, that you they, that they bump into one do another? They bump into one another. How does that? How does that sort yeah, of confluence? Of... Well, I mean, capitalism like counterculture is absolutely riddled with contradiction. Right. But I mean, the, I think if you you need to look at the the first instance of what we're talking about by the grid. If you're talking about the internet um, and, and the, the communication grid, I mean, the idea of the internet and the personal computer. These were initially very subversive ideas, right. uh, concocted by, by some fairly subversive uh, left-wing radical activists in the 1960s who were very, very taken with um, the 1960s counterculture and completely disgusted with the Vietnam War. And the idea of the personal computer was was literally, in its first instance, it was an idea to create this, this social decentralized machine mm-hmm. to combat the war machine mm-hmm. and the military industrial machine. So it was, this, it was a subversive idea. It was a political statement, and I believe it still is. I believe it is today more than it's ever been. Um, so people, you know, a lot of people think that it was number crunchers and, right. well, and that... geeks that sort of developed this thing, but it was, there, was a, there was a point to the personal computer, and it is absolutely... So, it's absolutely lived up to its greatest expectations. Mm-hmm. It's still growing too. I would imagine yeah. there's there's going to be a like you say there's a, the revolution's just begun on this. The next ten years or so are really going to mark the uh, turning point. I think with with copyright law and I mean yeah. are, are are the pirates going to win this? And I don't mean the pirates, but are are we going to see a more open source society in the next ten years? I think we are. Yeah. I, I I'm certainly convinced that we are. I mean, if you look at the efforts of just the efforts of the music industry and the movie industry over the last ten years to try to try and curb the problems that they're having, right. the problems they're having. Sorry, I mean they haven't they haven't made a dent in in piracy at all, right. like, not in the slightest. And bless them, they've tried. You know, they've really tried, but yeah. they they can't win because it's not that society's not behind them. Like, right. most people don't agree with them, so it's not some and this is not something that they can really control because of this decentralized social machine that we have now. The internet is the ultimate copying machine, it's been said. Yeah. And it's getting it's getting better at copying stuff. I mean, the time's not far off where you'll be able to download a high quality movie in ten minutes if 
what if bandwidth speeds uh, increase as they have in other countries like Japan, South Korea, we'll, we will be having those kind of problems here in the movie industry. It'll probably affect software. It'll probably affect video games. Right. There are these things called 3D printers, which uh, people use in design and prototyping that can literally print out physical objects. Right. Now, they're, they're not that sophisticated at the moment. You, you literally can make sort of hard plastic models of of things that then need to be designed uh, using the, the proper textiles that they're going to be made with later. But, I mean, they're getting, they're getting much more sophisticated every year and the price is coming down and they're getting better at what they can print out. I mean, that really, to me, that's the scariest thing is one day this, all the stuff that's applying to electronic information could apply to physical, physical objects. I mean, think about what's happened to the music business and, and then ask yourself what's going to happen to Nike when kids can download sneakers. Right. Right. You know, I mean, we right. Right. the, the future is a scary place. So what? I think it, it will inevitably become the pirate's dilemma is going to become even more of a problem than it is now. Um, but but again, it's just about we, we're just having to sort of rethink what information actually is and how we earn money from information because there there are ways. M the music business is doing really well. The only part of it that isn't is the little plastic disc industry. Right. If you look at live, you look at merchandise, you right. look at MP3 sales. I mean, they're all in rude health. They're doing well. They're right. growing. Well, and and uh, and Apple just introduced a computer that doesn't have a DVD or CD drive in it. So, yeah, which so, I thought was the death knell. Yeah, you know, like, when they released the yeah. they released the first iMac without the floppy disk drive. Right. I was I remember being very surprised when I saw that as a kid, and then soon after I'd forgotten that I'd ever needed a yeah. you know <laughs> floppy disk. So yeah, so you're, you're beginning to see, and your commitment to open source journalism with uh, Wikia, Wiki. Am I saying that right? Wikia. Wikipedia. No, your 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 own your own open source journalism. You have your site. Oh, Wedia. Thank you. Right. I, did, yeah, I said sorry. it wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm. So. We, the, yeah, Wedia is a it's a nonprofit. My wife and I founded, which she runs, and uh, yeah. we're working with a, a really really talented team of developers at the moment. Uh, what we're trying to launch is um, a an, yes, it's an open source way to. Yeah. To get news and underreported news on different humanitarian issues. So, right. yeah, I'm a huge supporter. I don't think that the open source model is right for absolutely everything in the world, but I think it's really useful and I think it's something really, really profound and incredible in terms of the, the future potential of it. Well, well, Matt Mason, uh, you've, you've, you've talked. We've, you said the world is fraught with uh, with some. Uh, possible pitfalls ahead, but you've given us a, kind of a roadmap here with this book, Pirate's Dilemma, and I want to thank you very much for being here on uh, Weekly Signals. Thank you. Great talking to you. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan, and I'm Mike Kaspar, and this is Weekly Signals.